Hello and welcome to the Show Up Dad. This is a podcast for hardworking fathers looking to level up their fathering skills and be more than just a paycheck or provider for the home. Today's guest is none other than Dr. Billy Allsbrooks, formerly known by his stage name White Dog. He is an American rapper, a hit songwriter, and a music producer. Dr. Billy Allsbrooks has become a powerful and passionate motivational speaker, top-selling author, thought surgeon, and success engineer. His viral inspirational videos have been currently been viewed by more than 33 million times on YouTube. His current motivation is to impact 1 billion people. Billy was recently awarded an honorary doctorate of humanities for his positive impact across the globe. Billy, it is such an honor to have you on this podcast today, bro. Can we just kick things off with you just giving our listeners an overview of your story, if you don't mind? Amen, brother. Appreciate you having me on, man. God is good. Yes, he I always is. like to like to start everything out. God still moves. Some people need to hear that, man. Mm. God still moves, man. And um, for 17 years, I was I was in the music business, man, as a rap artist, music producer, songwriter, produced for gold and platinum acts across the, the country, had my own radio show, uh, fully immersed in what the world calls the Hollywood lifestyle, right? Chasing the money, the, the fame, the fast cars, the fast women, all of that, man. I mean, I was... I was all in 120 beast mode, all in on the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but no matter how big I got in that, in that, that industry, no, you know, no matter how many times my, my records got played, albums got sold, how many shows I got booked, man, the hole on the inside that I had would just kept getting bigger and bigger. They say, well, you know, if you get money, you, you'll get happiness. They say, if you get this car, you'll feel better. If you get this woman, you'll feel better. It, it's all a lot. None of that will, will, will feed the inside. Nothing on the external can feed the inside. Only God can handle that. And uh, I tried everything in the world, man, on the outside, you know, to, to get everything I could on the outside to, to quiet that, that quench and that noise that was going on on the inside, but nothing worked. Mm-hmm. And um, a matter of fact, it got worse. The, the more success I got, the bigger, you know, the bigger the whole got. My entourage got bigger, you know, not necessarily my true friends, but the entourage got bigger. The circle got bigger, right? But the whole got bigger too. And, and I was okay with, with the circle getting bigger, like mm-hmm. a lot of people, because it allowed me to mask what was really going on. You know, in the entertainment business, we're good at masking, we're good at faking, we're good at putting on that show. You know, as they say, the show must go on. Mm. And um, I was really good at, you know, doing that. And and the crowd around me, you know, having that big crowd all the time around me allowed me to uh, run, you know, just just run from what was really going on on the inside, not having to deal with it. But uh, but God loved me, man. And, and he intervened in my life in, in different ways and different situations that started happening to me. He started, um, you know, reaching out to me, like trying to trying to bring me back home, man. And uh, it, it wasn't the most pleasant ride back to God. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it was it was trauma back to God. It was it was destruction back to God. I mean, the, the, the world got a hold of me. My father had had passed away in front of me at the end of 2007, man. I unexpectedly he had a had a stroke. You know, I mm-hmm. thought he was in good health. You know, looked like he was going to live another 20 something years. You know, he was 63, but looked 53. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, God had different plans. He, he has a stroke 12 days later. Uh, I'm in a nursing home with him as he's as he's starting to get better. Actually, he's recovering. Um, but he has a has a blood clot that day that dislodges from him sitting there for 12 days. Mm-hmm. Ten minutes later, he's gone. 
I saw him die right in front of me, could not do anything about it. Saw the struggle for life, you know, saw the transition, the eyes, all of that. I mean, it was just horrific, you know, to see my loved one. My daddy had been always, you know, taking care of me for years, mm -hmm. um, protecting me from the world to see him die like that and not be able to help, you know. And it really shocked me, you know, the shock of losing him, first of all, I had to deal with that. Um, the trauma of the way he died um, triggered PTSD and uh, panic attacks in me. So for the next seven years, my life was just mental warfare. Mental, it was like World War III in here between the ears. The enemy got a hold of me and my mind started fearing my own death. I started fearing my own demise. Like I was gonna die just like my daddy, struggling, you know, to breathe for 10 minutes and nobody could do anything. This, you know, this is what my mind was, was constantly uh, trying to protect me from. You know, if, if I had a twitch in my arm or if, you know, anything in my body that just, you know, happened to be off, just normal stuff, but it would trigger immediately a panic attack. Like I'm dying, I'm dying. Um, it, it was so bad that I ran to the emergency room 12 times in nine months thinking I was going to die. I would come in and say, I'm having a heart attack. I'd come in and say, man, I'm about to stroke, you know, and my mom really believed these things. My mom was really trying to protect me, but had just, you know, went overboard from the trauma um, of the situation. And it, it just really robbed everything that I had built up in the music business for 17 years. And I had put a lot of money up. I had businesses all over Orlando uh, where I was um, living. And, but, you know, when these things came, came on me, it just completely ripped me uh, away from everything just completely took me away from the music business. I mean, I was on stage one day in front of 20,000 people with a mic in my hand. A few weeks later, I'm locked up in a room two weeks at a time, scared to come out with these panic attacks, like literally just completely destroyed everything. Um, a few years went by of having these every single day. Like I started having panic attacks once, you know, one time a day, then it graduated to two times a day to four times a day to the whole day. I was either having a panic attack or, um, anticipating having one was, was, which was just as bad, like sitting around all day worrying about when the next one was going to come on. And um, it completely took everything from me, man. All, all my money began to dwindle, you know, not being able to work, not being able to watch my businesses, not being able to go out and do the shows and the music business, stuff like that. And, you know, two or three years in, down the road, man, I look around, all the friends are gone, all the entourage, as mm -hmm. I mentioned, the big circle, that's gone. Like, you know, the, the, the people that I thought were true friends really weren't you know, true friends, they were just there for the situation. And I found myself pretty much all alone. My wife was there and my mom was there. They stuck by me, but everything else pretty much was, was ripped away. My name in the music business, you know, three or four years into it, you know, people start forgetting, oh, that's, you know, a long time ago, whatever. Yeah. And um, man, I just woke up one day with just, just me and God. You know, I had tried everything to get my life back, having these panic attacks. Man, I went to every counselor in town, every therapist in town, psychologists. I took the meds. I, you know, I did the, the grief share programs, the church programs. I got rebaptized, accepted Christ. I mean, I tried everything and mm -hmm. nothing worked. I mean, literally nothing worked. I'm, I just uh, struggled every single day. It was like a nightmare, man, just to, to get to the next 15 minutes is all I was trying to do. Every single day was like, let me just 15 minutes, please. Don't, don't let me have a panic attack, 15 minutes. I mean, this was my life. Yeah. You know, I'd be, I'd go to Walmart and be in the line and have a panic attack. I'd go to the restaurant with the wife. We'd sit down, order, you know, a drink or whatever, about to order for the food and boom, I'd have a panic attack. And we'd have to rush out of the restaurant, rush back home. You know what I mean? Like it just took over every single aspect of my life um, until one day I, found, I got to the end of me. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't, I don't know if, if you know what that's like, but I got to the end of me. Like, I tried everything. 
and I had forgot, I literally forgot who I was before this mm-hmm. had happened. Like, it, you know, I couldn't remember what it was like to not have a panic attack, to not, to not be in fear, to not worry about dying I, and just have a normal day, just go out and, you know, enjoy life. I, I, I forgot what that was even like. Hmm. And um, I reached out to God one day. I, I'll be honest, I, I just cut a deal with him, man. You know, I got to the end of me. I tried everything and I said, look, Lord, I've got nothing else. I've tried everything I know how to do. Um, everything is fell apart. The money's gone. The people gone. I'm alone in this thing. Um, I don't see any hope. I don't see any light. Every day is the same. It's like Groundhog Day. Every single day to struggle. Um, and I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I said, now, I know you have the power to heal me. That's what the word says. That's what my mother and father told me raising up. And I, and I know they don't lie. I know your word don't lie. Right. So I knew I know um, I knew that God could could heal me. But the question was, would he? Right. So I asked him and said, you know, if you heal me. The only thing I got to give you is this. If you heal me, I will go out and tell the world who did it. Mm-hmm. That's all I got to give you. So I made that deal. I said, you know, Lord, if, if you heal me and restore me in some kind of way, I will go around and I will tell people that you still move today, that you still live and that. Um, what you did for me, you'll do for them as well. Hmm. And that's all I had, you know, and and I invited them into my life. Um, It didn't happen like, you know, in the movie, sometimes we we see the miracle like right away. Mm -hmm. It didn't happen that way with me. Um, I still had to go through warfare. I still had to win my life back. Now, he entered my life at that point because God needs our invitation. He's all powerful, but he still needs our invitation. We have to invite them in. We're not, you know, we're not robots and, 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 uh, he didn't design us that way. It's a choice. We choose God, right. And I had to choose to to let him in and he began to work day by day. He began to open up doors and bring the right people to me. Mm -hmm. You know, not long after I said that prayer, the right therapist came, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I found the right one. And it was it would it wouldn't have been the one I would have chose to begin with you know to begin with anyway. See, that's I was looking at you know with my eyes thinking okay it had to be this certain type of therapist to help me. This guy had been six months out of school, out of college, just building a practice, just started. And all these other ones that I had been to, like six, seven other ones that I had been to, they were the Harvard, Yales, and and and, and all those types. This guy just straight out of you know straight out of school, six months. But this guy was that God sent me was really, really passionate about healing, really, really passionate about therapy. He yeah. really, really was passionate about building, you know, a practice and, and, and an impact in lives. Mm-hmm. So I knew from that, I was like, okay, you might not have the experience these guys had at Harvard and Yale, but your passion is there. Your heart is there. Your, your intentions are right. And my why on my side, my reason to get better is strong. I'm trying to get my life back. I got a strong why. Yeah. So I was like, we got two, we got two winning elements here. We got passion with you wanting to, to, to heal and, and, and really dedicated to your work. And me, I got a strong why to get better. So I was like, if we get in this room, I know we can figure it out. You know, I, and God is here with us and, and, and he's going to take care of the rest of that. So uh, we got in there every single, single day, um, about three times a week. I started mm-hmm. meeting with him. With, most, therapists, most therapists don't meet with you three times a week. I was in bad shape. But this guy made an exception. He's like, man, as many times as we got to do it, you know, we'll, we'll do it. I'm going to get you back on track. So I went to him for about two, um, two and a half years there, man. And we, and we got it in three, you know, three days a week. And and um, it was a rough, you know, mm-hmm. bumpy ride. Like people think, you know, you accept God and everything just smooths out. It's not that way. No. Sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes it's the opposite because now you're a threat. 
Mm-hmm. Like when you invite God in, now you're a threat. But like before, when I was in, in the rap game and, and promoting the thug life, drug life and, and gang banging and all that, the enemy left me alone. It was like, I'm working for him. Like, leave my man alone. Right. Yeah. But the moment I started to do something positive and say, like, enough is enough. I'm going to make an impact and I want to do something good. Man, the, 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 the war jumped off. And, and that was the situation here. Um, it was a bumpy, bumpy ride. But God was with me along the way at every turn, at every step, at every, every, everything that I went through, God never left me and he stuck right by me and he honored the promise um, that he, you know, that I made with him there on the, on the block praying to him. Um, he, he, he fulfilled his end of the bargain mm-hmm. and years later I come out of it and now I'm doing this motivational speaking, man. And I go around and I make sure that I tell them all, just like I promised God I would, that, that God still moves. Mm. I and mean, it took me almost seven years to overcome this thing. It was, you know, what I call the, the wilderness or the lost years or whatever you want to call it. Seven years, man, I went through this thing before I got back to some type of normal type of function. Man. So um, it, it was a crazy, crazy time. And I wouldn't have wished that upon anybody. Yeah. To have to go through, you know, what I did. But here's the thing. Without going through the struggle, I wouldn't be here today talking yeah. to you. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have written my book that's selling in 29 countries. I wouldn't my, my videos wouldn't be circling the globe and I wouldn't be out here doing what I'm doing had I not went through the struggle. Mm-hmm. Like God knew exactly what I needed to get me where I needed to be to be useful. You know, mm-hmm. like he he doesn't want bad upon us, but he can take what the devil meant for harm and turn it into good. So the enemy was attacking me, and God said, "Okay, we're going, we're going, we're going to transform all of that, and we're going, we're going to package it up into a testimony that 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 I can send you out, and you'll have a story to tell, and you can connect with other people going through the same thing." And I realized going through the struggle, the, you know, the, the struggle is a language. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to speak to people that are going through the struggle, you need to know the language of the struggle, right? So I had to go through the struggle to learn the language in order to get on here and talk to, you know, people that are going through that right now. And um, whether it's, you know, stage four cancer, whether it's um, the marriage falling apart in a divorce or bankruptcy or, you know, some other kind of health issue or mental issue or whatever, that, there's a language to that. And mm-hmm. for me to be useful and the most impactful, I had to go through the struggle. I had to learn the hard way in order to do what I'm, you know, been called to do and designed to do. So I, as I say, I, I wouldn't wish anybody to go through that, but, mm-hmm. but I am a, a product of the struggle and mm-hmm. that that's what's made me. And, and uh, God has used those circumstances and situations to make me useful, man. And I'm just, I'm just humbled and grateful that, that it turned out this way. Absolutely, man. And your story is just so amazing. I, I mean, just you just speaking there, I could just see myself and everything you talked about from, you know, the anxieties of losing your father, you know, I, I didn't lose my mm-hmm. father, but I lost my brother and he died from a, a sudden heart mm-hmm. attack. You know what I mean? He was here mm-hmm. one day, gone the next. And right, right. I remember feeling that as well. I remember, you know, my mom called me, says, you need to go get checked, make sure your heart's okay. You know, mm-hmm. And I remember having that anxiety at night, you know, having pains. And I would tell my mm-hmm. wife, man, I got tightness in my chest and I'm, I'm in good health too, you know? And right, right. just, the, just the, the effects that your brain put in your head that these lies, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? To get that anxiety right. up. And I, I was losing right. sleep over it, bro. I mean, I was losing sleep right. over it and everything, you know? And, uh, you know, it's just, it's kind of crazy just the way that the brain works. Um, now you said something that was really interesting, how your father, you know, all this stuff affected you when your father died. That's when the anxiety mm-hmm. came on and everything. Can you, right, right. 
Can you elaborate a little bit about your upbringing with your father? Because obviously you had a big, big, tremendous impact on your life to who you are today. Okay, I, I saw I saw a good man, a great man who loved um, his, his son and, and his family. Mm -hmm. um, and I also saw a human man who had struggles and violence. Like, you know, we're human. We have something we have to overcome. I'll give you um, a little little bit of synopsis of, of my history with him. Um, growing up, mm -hmm. one thing that me and him did together was martial arts. You know, he started taking um, Taekwondo when I was like four, almost five. Um, and this this would have been way back. This was before, um, you know, karate schools and martial arts schools were everywhere. And like daycares today where there's kids going. Back then it was kind of strict you know, mm -hmm. you had to be a, a certain adult age and, you know, it was discipline required and, and all these types of things. It was, it was very strict who they chose to even, even teach. And my dad would come home at the house and, and practice. And me being a little kid, I like to follow everything he did and try to be, you know, try to look up to dad, try to be dad. Right. So yeah, he'd come home and start practicing in the living room, the stuff he had learned or whatever. And I'd be right there next to him. What are you doing? You're kicking. Okay. Well, I'm kicking. You're punching them. And I watch how he did it and, and learn. And I picked up pretty quick and, um, it was something me and my dad started doing when I was there, you know, five years old, we started doing it every, every single day. Um, he went to the instructions like, Hey, uh, would you consider training my son? And he was like, nah, you know, we don't do daycare and all that kind of thing. And this is serious. And he's like, no, no, my son, uh, he loves this. It's not, you know, he's disciplined and we do it. We sit there for hours and he mm -hmm. doesn't distract. And so he didn't, he didn't quite believe it. He said, come back and see me in three months, you know, and if he's still, that way and still acting that way we'll bring him in and we'll, we'll kind of see see how that goes sure enough you know three months went by i'm still following dad and i come in and um we do kind of like uh, one practice they wanted to see i guess if i would disrupt the you know adults and stuff like that not and that's not what happened you know i, I really love martial arts so for the next let's see from the time i was five all the way to 14 that was mm -hmm. what me and my father really did together we loved um football because I'm from Alabama. That's okay. where I was originally born. And, and it was music, football, and martial arts. That, that, that was our thing. My, my dad was a musician, actually in the, the Alabama Music Hall of Fame as a studio musician. So him and my mother were big musicians. So, so that was a, and always in the house. And then martial arts, me and him started going to tournaments all over the country. I won the, the state championship four years in a row, uh, national championship, uh, junior Olympics, trained with the Olympians, all that. That was what we did. Okay, now about my middle school years, the vice popped up in my dad's life. My, on my dad's side of the, the family, um, his dad and all my uncles, they were alcoholics. Mm. Every single one of them. They were different types of alcoholics, but they were all alcoholics. Like my grandfather, he was a violent drunk. If he had one drop in him, anybody within a mile, kids, women included, were, were subject to getting beat on. Like he mm. was that, he had that kind of mentality. It, you know, alcohol affects people differently. Yeah. And my uncles, um, they were what, I, what we call functioning alcoholics, meaning mm -hmm. they could drink and get drunk tonight, but still get up tomorrow and function and go to work. Like yeah. it wasn't, it, it hadn't consumed them yet. But my daddy, he had this other kind. He had like the binges, man. If, if he had one drop, he couldn't stop for two to three weeks drinking. Mm -hmm. Like literally he would, you know, drink until he passed out wake up four or five hours later, still intoxicated and continue to drink it. Like literally would just take over his life and he couldn't stop. The only way he would stop was he'd run out of alcohol, run out of the uh, money or keys to go get alcohol. So we would have to hide um, the keys, hide the money. 
um, and, and just kind of cross our fingers that, you know, he would stop. I mean, mm. we did this for years. I mean, it started like around my middle school. Um, I think it was nine or 10 years old and, and all the way to my senior year in high school. This was the two month routine, what I call it, two month cycle. Mm-hmm. He would be sober for two months. And then one day he'd be on the way home from from work and he'd think that he could drink like my uncles, like they could go by the store on the way home, get a beer and be OK. And he'd always try that. He'd always think he could be just like, I'm just going to have me a beer and I can control it. And he'd get that one drop in and man. And three, four hours later, he didn't know who he was. He would just literally be out of his mind. Um, he wasn't a violent drunk. You know, he wasn't one of those that, that beat on me or anything like that. He loved me. He would actually get more docile when he would drink he would you know kind of calm but um he could not stop you know he would mm-hmm. go through this two or three week cycle and take him that long to sober up to dry up as we, we would say um he'd start a new job because he would lose it of course being out uh, incapacitated for two weeks yeah. so he'd go find a new job which he could always do he was a really good man and he'd show up on time he was uh, um you know trustworthy great salesman great personality but he just had this vice you know what I mean? He just had this struggle. And we as a family, we would hide. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but we would hide. You know, mm-hmm. like what you do when you have a problem, we go to church, you don't talk about it. We go to the mall, go to family dinners, we just don't talk about it. You know, we yeah. put the face on. How's everything going? Great, great. You know, but really there's there's a struggle going on. But we, yeah. you know, just don't want to own the struggle. Don't want to, you know, advertise it or or call out for help. We tried to do it on our own. Didn't work. Mm-hmm. My mother mother tried everything in the world to get him uh, sober and to get him to overcome this this addiction that he had. We, you know, we put him in rehab sometimes and, you know, he would go halfway through it and then check himself out. He'd go to AA, um, all different types of programs, any kind of experimental program he was trying, but nothing seemed to work. You know, he'd be sober two or three, two or three months and then right back at it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was two turning points with his drinking. Um my mother got a promotion. We were living in, at this time, we were living in Dallas. I, it was right after my freshman year in high school. Um, my mother got a promotion. She worked for a bank and got a promotion down in Florida, South Florida. So we were going to move. We had two weeks to, to go down there, find a place and move everything before she started the job. And like two days before we're supposed to go down and look for a place, my father falls off the wagon again. He, he, he comes on one day drinking and we know once he's drinking, he's not going on this trip because it's a two week sober thing. So he's not going to be able to go with it. So me and my mother left him there at the house and told my uncle to check in on him. Like, you know, he's drinking again, please check in on him, blah, blah, blah. And uh, we went on to, to Florida to look for a house. But while we were down there, my uncle hadn't heard from my daddy in a couple of days and checked in on him and he, because he couldn't find alcohol around the house, he ended up drinking rubbing alcohol, a whole bottle of rubbing alcohol. And my my uh, uncle found him in the bathroom floor, blood everywhere, it looked like a murder scene, like mm. barely breathing, just completely um, out of it. So he called emergency and 911 and, and they rushed him to the hospital and they didn't think he was going to make it through the night. They called us in, in Florida and like, you got to get back here. He's not going to make it. So we rushed back and my daddy fought and fought and fought and um, he ended up coming out of it. He was on dialysis for 44 days. They, they didn't think he would make it. Everything he'd get functioning of his mind back, his body back, anything. I mean, he literally drank a whole bottle of poison, basically. Yeah. And um, they didn't think he'd walk. But every time he overcame everything, they didn't think he'd have his kidneys. And he overcame that God, you know, blessed him and, and continued to heal him. And so we thought, OK, going through all of this, mm-hmm. he's finally going to wake up. Yeah. So it took it took him literally almost six months to get out of the hospital from this 
situation. He gets out of the hospital. He comes back to Fort Lauderdale, where we're at, down in South Florida, Miami. And um, it's not two two months that go by, and he's not doing it again, just like he, he never did it, you know, never went in the hospital. So we had that same cycle down in Fort Lauderdale, Miami, until my senior year. And finally, my mother just had enough and didn't know what else to do. So she filed uh, the divorce paperwork on him. And the craziest thing, that was the last day my daddy ever drank. Wow. The day he got the day he got the paperwork, um, you know, he said no more. And he, what I what I equated it to was he had a strong why now is what they call in the, the, the addiction world. He had rock bottom like he wanted his family back. And that was the why, you know, all the other stuff didn't seem to click, you know, but but this right here, for some reason, um, you know, that was the turning point where he hit rock bottom. He went and got in a program, started going to AA. Um, he recovered himself. And then he started going out and helping others um, get off addiction. For the last mm. 15, 16 years of his life, he never touched a drink. He was chairing meetings. He was going in prisons, going in jails and, and you know, facilitating this stuff to help others get off addiction the same way he did, man. And, and I, the one thing I really regret mm. um, looking back, because I didn't know he was going to die. Of course, we don't know sometimes. Right. Yeah. We don't. There's a lot of things we wish we could say. And I never told him that I was that proud of him that he did that because I, I feared as a growing up every time that he got sober and I'd say, okay, he's, he's good. Then he would relapse. Mm -hmm. So like, I was, I was like superstitious. Like if I tell him, you know, the, you know, you're doing really good. I was scared. He'd backslide just, you know, mm -hmm. being, being scared. Cause it happened so many times growing up. And I never really said, you know what? I'm really, really proud of you done something that most people just can't do. And, and, you've you've done it like i i, I should have celebrated that we all should have celebrated that but yeah. i was just fearful you know i was still fearful like 15 16 years later when he'd come home um because i was living with him for a while right before um he passed away when he'd come home i'd still look at his eyes because i'd always try to see if he was still drink you know like if yeah. i could always tell his eyes first whether he was drinking or not there'd be this like a gloss on his mm -hmm. eyes and i could say oh he's been drinking he's going you know and my mom said, no, no, he's fine. I was like, no, he's been drinking. I could see it every single time before anybody else. So he'd still come home 16 years later and hadn't touched a drop, but I'm still on guard because yeah. it happened so many times as a child, that trauma from it. But I never really told him, man, that, you know, how proud of him I was and, and, and what a great job he was doing helping others and all that. I really regret that, you know, I, I never did get to celebrate it. You know, the last conversation too, Mm -hmm. that I had with him before he had the struggle it was I was on the phone with him. It was almost Christmas time. The next week from the phone call, I would be up in Alabama where he was at for okay. Christmas. I I'd go up there every year for Christmas, see family. So I was talking about, you know, how happy I was coming home for Christmas and I was going to take off two weeks and which normally I did. Normally it'd just be kind of like two or three days and I got to get back on the grind. I was in the music business still chasing mm -hmm. that life. Um, not really focused on the important things, right? The loved yeah. ones, the family. Mine was about the dollar. Let me get that money. So, but I was really happy for some reason. I was, I was like, man, I'm gonna take off two weeks. I was tired. I just like, I want to spend time with the family. And uh, the the one of the last things he said, it was funny to me because he asked me to go um, when I got up to Alabama to go to jail with him because he was going in chairing these meetings. You know, the A meetings. He's like, I always talk about you. They know you're rapping and all this, and they want to meet you in jail and all this. And I'm like, I don't want to go to jail. I was like, I'm trying to stay out of jail, right? Like, right. I don't want nothing to do with jail. And he, he would, you know, he would always, um, you know, make make fun. He'd say, you know, everybody, uh, you know, that can come in here and talk to these guys, um, doesn't want to. 
And the ones that want to got records, you know, criminal charges and, and aren't allowed to come in and talk, you know? So mm-hmm. he's like, that's, that's the problem that we have. But, but the, that was the last conversation was he was trying to get me to come in and, and speak to the ones that were going through addiction. It's crazy now. Cause I, I go into prisons all the time. I go into jails all across the country. Some of the biggest ones in the United States. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, man, if dad could have seen me, cause he never saw this person. Either. He saw, you know, the, the, the rap life and all that. And he still loved me through it. You know, he never judged me for it. He, he never said anything negative about it. He was proud of me and, you know, and he would boast and all that, but uh, I really wish he could have seen this, mm-hmm. you know, that, that I was doing what he was doing and, and, you know, and continued that, like he never got to see that. Um, so I guess the moral of the story, maybe somebody is watching, you, you need to tell your loved ones you love them because you just don't mm. know how long they're going to be here. Mm. You know, the, the one thing I don't like about this COVID thing that's going on, the, the world, most of the world is put off living to next year or some other time, right, down the road. It's yeah. like for the last year, nobody's lived. It's like, let's just coop ourselves up in the house and we'll start living in 21 or 22, right? And mm. I'm like, these people don't get it. They might not be here in 22, you know, mm. they might not be here in nine months from now. Like you said about your brother, just one day pass away and you don't know it. And what if what if these are your last days and you're sitting on them cooped up and you know what I mean? And, and living in fear. Like, yeah. I, I'm like, and I learned that going through the panic attacks because I figured out how many days I gave away to fear. Mm-hmm. Seven years I gave away of my life that I did not live. Mm. I gave away to fear. So I did the math, 365 days times seven. It was over 2,500 days that I gave away of my life. Now, we only typically, if we live a full life, they say mm-hmm. 70 years or whatever, it, you know, 70 times 365, whatever, it's around 30,000 days, mm-hmm. right? But, you know, your school days, you're talking about 15, 18 or whatever, those days are gone. And then you got the end like let's say 63 when you're retired your body's not really the same as it is now so how many days are you do you really have left hmm. like i mean it's not that many days and no. if you give away 365 and you only got a thousand days left or two thousand days left, i mean every one of those days you're gonna wish you had back you know and yes. I, I tell these people tell your loved ones that you love them because you don't know how long you're gonna have them we don't own our loved ones we lease them Mm. And any given time, man, they could go home. God could take them home. And, and, and I wish there's so many things I wish I could have told my daddy. We were on good terms when, mm. when he passed away. Thank God. Because yeah. there was a couple of times when we weren't. But, but we, were, we were on good terms, man. And, um, but there's still so many things, man, I wish I would have said in that last phone call. Mm-hmm. You know, he had the stroke. So we didn't talk anymore. Like I, the phone call a, a week later or whatever it was, 12 days later, he had the, had the stroke. So I didn't have another conversation with him after I got off that phone. Like I talked to him, but he couldn't, he wasn't coherent in a way, um, you know, the same way yeah. being before the stroke and after. So there's so many things, man, I wish I would have said to my daddy, I, you know, could have told him and, and done all that. And, and I try to make sure today um, that I call my mom every single day and talk mm-hmm. to her just for a minute or make sure I text her every single day and say, I love you. Cause I didn't always have a, have a good relationship with my mom either. See, um, when this happened, when my mom divorced my dad, um, I kind of held resentment against her for doing that. Cause I felt like, Oh, you know, you abandoned him. Really? That's what needed to be done. That was the yeah. only way my daddy got sober. He might've died had she not done that. But at the time being a kid, I was mad at her, you know, like we do. Yeah. Like, why did you give up on dad? Why'd you turn your back on dad? And then, um, a couple of years later, too, she remarried, which bothered me because I thought um, it was just the addiction. But when my dad got sober, they never got back together. So I held that against my mom. Like you said, it was addiction. And once he got he's better now and you're marrying and I held resentment. So from about 90, 
1992-93 all the way to my dad died um in 2007 we're talking let's see about 14 years mm-hmm. I was touching go with my mom I talked to her once every three weeks four weeks and you know really didn't have real conversations just surface level stuff you know I'm too busy I'm out here in the rap game and you know stuff like that I, I just wasn't really loving on her like that and when my dad died I actually called her then and she came and helped me with everything that was going on and we rebonded and I realized then I was like I can't you know what if I lose her like this I can't I, and I don't have a relationship with her so it the one positive that came out of my dad down the way he did it was I appreciated my parents I appreciated mm-hmm. my life better and these loved ones I looked around and said I'm gonna make sure they they know I love them you know because yeah. I don't know when that when that could happen so I'm gonna make sure that I had that relationship again and we've had it ever since mm-hmm. you know even before I got on this call with you right now um t- tonight I text I say hey, I'm normally I call around eight she's in Texas uh-huh. Uh, I said, normally I call you around eight, but I'm going to be on this podcast just in case I run over whatever. I just want you to know I'll call you after. But, but um, you know, maybe someone needs to hear that out there. Maybe there's a relationship mm. that you've been, you've been putting off reconciling, thinking there's a tomorrow. You can fix that tomorrow. Go ahead and fix that today. If you've got mm. the ability and, and capacity to, to, to do something about that relationship, take care of it today. You don't know if you got it tomorrow. Somebody needs to hear this. I know it. I know because yes. otherwise God wouldn't have put that on my spirit. Make up with these people, man. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. You know, I, I know trauma happens sometimes and bad things happen and some people do us wrong and, and, and all that kind of stuff, the bitterness. But man, life's too short. Life's too short to be to be living like that and having to live with regret years later, man. It's just not worth it, man. Go ahead and if you have the ability and it's it, it's a you know if you're capable of actually doing it, please try to do that. Please, mm. please try to reconcile. Absolutely, brother. And like you, you hit the nail right on the head when you said promise is not you know tomorrow's not promised to nobody. That's right. That's I right. Mean, one of the last conversations I had with my younger brother was talking about you know his why I wanted to find out his mm-hmm. why. And I was trying to get him to, right. to you know, reconceptualize and get in alignment right. with God and stuff like that. And uh, he told me straight up, he's like, you know what? All I have is 20 more years of line work. Cause we're, we're a lineman family. We built power. Okay. Line. Right. Right. And, and uh, he's like, all I got is 20 more years. Cisco is what he told me. He's like, that's it. He's like, and then I'll retire. And then I can just go hunting and, and, you know, take care of everything I need to do. Well, that was the last time I talked to him. Next thing you know, he went on a hunt and he never came back. You know what I mean? Mm. And Mm. uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, Tomorrow is not promised to no man. So don't put off things that you can do Mm. today, especially with your loved ones. You know, that's such a powerful message that you got there, brother. And, uh, you know, that that brings to our premise of this, this podcast, right? Right. To tie it all in. It's to ignite a fire for father engagement. Okay. A lot of fathers, they don't understand their role. You know, they Mm. don't understand that they are more than just a paycheck or provider for their home. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? Why do you think that, you know what I mean? Obviously, you know, you had a great relationship with your dad, thick and thin, stuff like that. He had a real positive impact, impact on your life. Why do you think fathers today tend to lose their why, their purpose, when it comes to fathering? Well, 
my the word says my people perish for a lack of knowledge mm. sometimes sometimes we just don't know these things we you know we don't know we're supposed to have a why we don't know um the the gravity and and can't see down the road and all these like you said your, your brother said hey i got 20 years and then I, like you don't have it you mm-hmm. don't know we can't see that kind of stuff and we're not taught that kind of stuff and um knowledge is the first first thing you know we're not taught that in school they don't teach us the real stuff about living at school they mm-hmm. teach us the stuff we need to get a job at school not living right how to live like we yeah. just don't learn and even in the churches to be honest even in the churches it's just not taught the, the divorce rate is just as high in the church if not higher yes. than, than the world you know and, and cancer rate is the same in church right like you know that's what 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 really propelled me to write my book um, mm-hmm. blessed and unstoppable that seven years that I was going through the struggle I was in church man every time they opened the door mm-hmm. but I wasn't getting healed and I know um, and I knew this I knew that God's word was truth I knew he was real so I was like okay the word says I have healing and I know God doesn't lie so why am I still stuck in this situation right yeah. and then I realized okay we have to play our part too there's there's laws that God put in place Right. Mm-hmm. You know, different things like the law of vision, um, the law of the mindset, the way we think. And that there, there's laws that we have to align with in order to bear fruit. We have to mm-hmm. play our role. Right. And, and that's the whole premise for the book that I had the blessed and unstoppable. Like we accept Christ for free. Christ gives us that mm-hmm. eternal life for free. All we have to do is accept him into our hearts. We don't earn that. We don't earn salvation. Right. No. But he, here on earth to bring heaven down, right? And to walk in the blessing here on earth, yeah. we've got to align with the laws that God put in place. And that's what's really not taught. Whether it's fatherhood, whether it's you know about our bodies, whether it's um, business or finances or whatever, this stuff is just not taught at a level it needs to be taught at mm. in church. And, and, and you know the, the, the leaders need to get, um, the message needs to shift to more practicality. Like how to take this word that is real and how to apply it at home hmm. to fatherhood, to the family, to the, to the marriage, how to take this word and apply it on Monday at work, how to take this word and apply it to the finances, how to apply it to sickness. Like when COVID comes, how do we apply this word to the situation? Like that's what needs to be taught. And what I learned going through the struggle was most of the churches today are leaving us at the altar. We get it. The, like the whole thing is let's, let's get them saved salvation, right? Let's yeah. get them accept Christ. We accept Christ, but they leave us right there. You're still broke. You're still sick. You're still hurting. You're still lost. Right. We got Christ in our, we have the capability now, mm-hmm. but we're still right there. We're never shown like how to enter the promised land. It's like, they took us to the promised land and said, there it is, but didn't show us how to cross the bridge to go over there and do it. It's in the word. It's just not, we don't know how to get it out of the word and apply it to everyday living, man. And, and, and as far as the, the, the fatherhood, man, the knowing the why, the, you know, what your why is and why you want the marriage the way you want it. You know, like with me, um, I vowed never to drink. You know, after I saw my dad in the cycle, now I still did in high school and college, but it was in the back of my mind. And I never really enjoyed it. It was a peer pressure thing. Somebody had me drink at the the club or thing. And I, you know, just sip a little bit just to make it look like I was in that world when really I wasn't. I hated everything to do with alcoholism, anything Mm -hmm. to do with drugs, anything, because I always thought, man, I don't want to be the way my dad was, you know. Um, So it's just learning learning the word and learning how to apply it in the marriage learning how to to to, to raise um children with the word man that that's that's the thing we got to learn how to take this word and apply it man we got to do more than just read it yeah i say this on the videos we got to more than just read it we gotta we gotta breathe it 
bleed it and become it. We have to literally become the word in action, walking this thing out. And uh, it's a process, man. It's a process. Oh, absolutely. And you're absolutely right. I mean, it needs to be head knowledge and then it's got to be heart knowledge. You know what I mean? That's right. right. The only way that happens is if you're spending time in the Bible, reading his word, knowing his truth. You know what I mean? Um, let, let me let me let me add one thing too. I, I didn't I didn't say this part because you were talking about the struggles with with the parent um, and the fathers. Um, my, my daddy was like I said before, he was a good man. He loved me, but you know the vice got in the way. Um, there were some times when my daddy wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Like we were saying, because of this 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 drinking, I'll, I'll give you a good example. My my first game in high school because we were big on football. I mean, I our goal when I was little from the time I was one week old was to play at University of Alabama. That's just the way we we in, in Alabama everybody wants to play at Bama. Right? Yeah. So my my first game in high school, um, I intercepted a pass. I, I played d- defensive back. I intercepted a pass, ran it for a forty something yard touchdown. Look up in the stands, and my dad is not there. Because this is this is that time that he's on that cycle, that that two, three week cycle. The first game of the year, man, I, I, I worked all year. We talked about going to this new high school, all this because we had uh, the second winningest coach in the state history there, the coach. Mm-hmm. So my dad was really big on it. We talk about it all the time. And here it was the first game of the year, man. And I look up in the stands. I just made this great play and he wasn't there. I remember just like, you know, how that how bad that felt. You know what yeah. I mean? Him not being. I know he wanted to be there. But it just, he wasn't, and it really, really hurt me. And I remember other times he mm-hmm. would come to the game and be in the early stages of it, he would be drunk there in the stands. Mm-hmm. And I remember being out on the field, right, um, you know, in a play, looking up in the stands. And, of course, I knew, being, a, being an in-tune um, child, I knew he was drinking. And yeah. I could tell from here, from the field, I could tell just by looking at his face. And I'm, I'm panicking the whole time I'm out there playing during the game saying, man, I hope he doesn't, you know, say something embarrassing to the parents because it's going to get back to the kids, which is going to make me feel weird at school. You know what I mean? Like the, the yeah. way you think at school. And, and I would see him. The, my, my mind was was completely in the stands the whole game. I was like, that game could not end quick enough. Like I was mm-hmm. just like, I got to get him out of here. Another time, me and him went to a karate tournament. Um, this is when I lived in Texas. We, we drove four hours, me and him on a Saturday, which we, we would do, me and him together. We'd go down there. And when I get to the tournament, as soon as I get there, my dad starts drinking at the tournament. Okay. Now, it's a four-hour drive back home, right? And the, the event is all day. Mm-hmm. So my dad keeps going to the car. I have like four events that I'm entered in. So like he keeps going back and forth to the car. Like every 15, 20 minutes, he leaves five, 10 minutes and then comes back. He's going to drink. Yeah. So by the fourth event, my dad is plastered at, at mm. this tournament. He, and, he, and I'm like, oh, my God, because, all the, you know, it's embarrassing. Here I've won four first place trophies and everybody's looking at me. But my dad is over here making a scene because he's drunk. Yeah. Right. And now I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to get back home? Because it's four hours away and I'm in a town I don't know. So we drive literally. He's drinking. And, and I, I did what I shouldn't have. I got in a car with somebody who was drunk. But we yeah. drove across the street to a to a gas like a gas station. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I went in to call my mom. And by the time I came out to the car, my daddy was passed out. And I'm in a neighborhood I don't know. It's dark. I got no money on me. I'm in my karate and I'm uniform. I'm like, like 11 years old, four hours away from home. Don't know where I'm at. Nothing. And he's passed out in the front seat of the car. So I go inside and ask the lady, I'm like, can I get a quarter? To, this is when they have pay phones. Yeah. I was like, can I get a quarter? I need to call my mom. So I go out and um, call my mom and she's furious, right? Because 
you know, I'm down there, her, her son, yeah. and I'm in this, and he's pulled this again. And uh, I don't even know where I'm at. I don't know the street, nothing. So I had to go in and get the lady. She came out on the payphone and told um, my mother where I was at. And she had my uncles come down and get us. Like, but it was four hours. Like, I had no food. She had talked to the lady. Like, can you please give him food till we get there? We'll pay you and, and uh, explain the situation. So I sat there literally four hours in the cold with my dad. who He never woke up. He was out four hours until they got there. He never woke up. So wow. like I had, I had a bunch of situations um, like that. One time I was in a karate class um, training mm-hmm. and he comes through the door at the class. And for some reason he had fell outside drinking and came in completely just blood all mm-hmm. over him, stumbling in the class. And I was so embarrassed because here I am like, you know, 11 years old. Everybody's looking up to me. I'm state champion. Dad comes through the door, blood all over him, completely incoherent, just slurring. All it is, and I'm like, get me out of here. So I run over there, get my dad. I'm like, you know, I tell him I gotta go. Something's happened. So I get out in the car, and I and I make another mistake. Just being a kid, I'm like, I want to get out of here as fast as possible. Uh-huh. So my dad was so so coherent, like just enough to stay awake. Yeah, we 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 literally get in his van, and I sit in his lap, and I drive for 30 minutes. I'm sit, I'm holding the steering wheel, and he's pushing the gas, and I'm telling him when to push and when to stop. And we drive 30 minutes home like that with me drive. I'm 11 years old trying to drive, <laughs> and my dad's completely like like there'd be times he'd be on the gas and he'd be out, like he'd pass out, and I'd be like, Dad, wake up, wake up, wake up, and then finally he'd hit the brake or whatever. And we did this for 30 30 minutes on the way home, and then when I get home, the the, the crazy part is it's five o'clock. Mm-hmm. All the parents are coming home at this apartment complex. All the kids are out front there. And I get out the car. They run to the car to see me. But my dad is drunk. So I'm trying to get the kids away. But I'm thinking, how am I going to get my dad? Because he's passed out now completely. How am I going to get him, who's five foot 11, almost 200 pounds, how am I going to get him up a flight of stairs to the second floor in the middle of the day with blood all over? Oh, man. So I run upstairs and get my mom. And, and, and we literally you know, try to lift him or whatever and literally carry him up the stairs, kids all around. I'm just so embarrassed, man, you know, about, about my situation with my dad. I could just wanted to crawl under a rock, like, you know what I mean? But so I understand, I understand a little bit about having yeah. the other kind. Like, I mean, it wasn't my, my father's intention to, to, to live like this. You yeah. know, he just had a vice and anytime he wasn't drinking, man, he was the best father you could have ever had, mm-hmm. but he had this vice. And, and, and I'm saying some of these things because maybe somebody listening right now is, has got a vice too, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you can't overcome it. My dad overcame this. My dad overcame what nobody, you know, what everyone told him he wasn't going to be able to overcome. He overcame it and he went out and made a difference. He turned that story around and went out and helped people just like him that were going through this thing and got, you know, help them get off of that and get their lives back. And maybe somebody out there right now is, is going through something similar like this. You've got to struggle. you got a vice and you don't see how um, you, it's ever going to turn around. But there is hope. God is good. God still moves. Invite him into your life and say, hey, you know, I've got this issue. I got this struggle and I've done everything just like when I was saying with my panic attacks. I, I, I've got this struggle that I, I don't know how to overcome. But I know you're real. I know your word is truth. And I invite you into my life to take the wheel. I, I, I'm tired. You Take the wheel, Lord. Take the mm. wheel. And, and, and if you're sincere in your heart when you ask that, ask that of God, God will honor it. God will come into your life. Now, it could be right away. Things could change. Or it could be just like I had to go another two to three years of struggle and warfare. But know this, the moment that I invited him in, he began to move and he began to move on my behalf and he trained me how to fight. Mm. Like the first five years of the panic attack for you, I didn't know how to fight him. 
he began to train me and show me, started showing me how to fight back in the moment. Slowly but surely, I began to win each day back. And he'll do the same for you. Somebody out there that's listening, he's a idiot. He'll do the same for you. Just got invited me. You just got to humble yourself. Because like me, I tried, I tried to do therapy like I did the music business, like I did entrepreneurism, which was hustle, 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 grind, 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 right? Yeah. Therapy's different. You can't hustle, hustle, grind, grind therapy. It, it don't work like that. You know what no. I mean? You can't hustle to get your mind back. It just don't happen. Panic attacks don't work that way. PTS don't work that way. So um, I, I had to learn that that approach wasn't going to work. And I had to really submit myself and say, okay, Lord, you know, here's the wheel. You take it. Hmm. And I think I had to get to the bottom of me, just yeah. like my daddy did in his own way. I had to get to the bottom of me and figure um, that there was nothing I could do with this. Like I had to, I had to figure out there was nothing I could do before I give him the wheel. Like I yeah. tried everything myself. Like I'll do it myself, Lord. I'll do it myself. I got it covered until I realized there, you know, there was no, no having it covered. Like mm-hmm. he was going to have to do it. And finally, when I did that, I know he was sitting there waiting, just happy that I came to him. Cause he's so happy when you come to him, like he's mm-hmm. just waiting, like, please, I can fix that. Like, please, you don't have to go through that struggle. You could come to me and I could fix that or I could I could um, steer you away from that or I could, I could, you know, open up doors so you don't have to experience that. And so many times we reject him. So many times mm-hmm. we turn him away and have to go through things that he never intended for us to go through. But somebody needs to hear that, man. Invite God in. Invite mm-hmm. God in. I don't care how dire your situation looks. I don't, I don't care how bad it is, what the doctor report said, uh, what the what the bank man said about the loan or the bankruptcy. Listen, God can fix it. God still moves. Listen, God is bigger than your problem. I know your problem looks big right now, but mm-hmm. God is bigger than your problem. You just got to get your faith right. If you get your faith right, he can come in and he can fix that situation, man. Hmm. Man, it's so awesome that you said that, Billy. I think a lot of times men, because we're problem solvers, right? Mm-hmm. We think we can handle the problem. We don't want to ask for help. You know, That's we, right. we think we can do it. And sometimes, you know, God, he looks at us and he's like, okay, I don't want you to go through that, but go ahead. Let's see what happens. Right, you know? right, right, and, right. And right. then you hit that bottom, like you're talking about, we hit that bottom and it's like, we have nowhere else to go. You know what I mean? Right, we got to right, come right. to where we're literally humbled so right. God can start working on our behalf. Right. You know, and it's amazing that so many people have to go through that. And that's never God's intention. I don't believe that God ever intended us to hit bottom. He never wants no, that no. for us, you know? No, he wants the best for us. That's his nature, man. He loves us, man. He wants nothing but the best. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he doesn't want us to take any of those terms that we don't have to take. Now, some we have to take in order to learn and to prepare for what we're called to do. Like I had to go through the struggle. You cannot go out and impact people in the struggle, going through the struggle, going through life, uh, you know, situations and not understand it. Right. Mm -hmm. I had to do that, but he promises this, that he'll always be there with us. Mm -hmm. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He doesn't say we won't have struggles. No, he doesn't say we won't have trials and tribulations. He just said we'll be victorious in the end. As Christ said on the cross, it is finished. Mm-hmm. We already had that victory, man. And 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 somebody needs to hear that. Yeah. I believe yeah. that, brother. I believe that, man. Somebody needs to hear that. Because like you said, I, I had to be shattered literally into a million pieces. It was like somebody took a sledgehammer and shattered me with a million pieces before I would turn over the, the keys to the car and say, Here, Lord, you you drive. Hmm. I had to do that. Like literally, I you know, because we're trained, as, like you said, as men, it's let's fix the problem. Let's, mm-hmm. you know, the pride, I'll keep at it. And, and here's a, here's another thing, too. Like, we're taught perseverance, right? Like in self-help, personal development. Perseverance, perseverance. Okay, 
perseverance at the wrong things. I was stubborn and persevering, continuing trying to do the thing that didn't work. That's not that's not the way perseverance was intended. We're not supposed to persevere in stupidity and pride, <laughs> right? And pride. Right. That's what I was doing. But but the, the quicker we come to him, man, the quicker he can he can intervene. And I, I promise you, there's not a happier day in heaven than when he, when when us as men mm-hmm. turn to him and say, I need you. I love you. Come, 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 come here, daddy. I need you. Hmm. There's not a happy that God is like, oh, oh, I've been waiting. I've been waiting, son. I've been waiting, son, to come in and help you. You know, there's not a happier day for him than than when we do that, man. Mm, Man, amen, brother. That's some awesome stuff right there, Billy. Um, I wanted to ask you, okay? Okay. I heard you on a podcast one time talk about J-O-B, the acronym, okay? Right, right, right. Just over broke, okay? That's right, that's right. Why do you think, and you know, and I, I, I try to link this back to why fathers tend to fall back on these vices. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they tend to settle for these jobs, right? Because they got to provide because mm-hmm. providing the Bible talks about being a provider and stuff like that. Okay. Right. Now, right. They tend to settle for these jobs that they were never meant to have or stay at, you know what I mean? And what happens is they, they, they're going to work, they're going through the grind. It's like groundhog's day. And mm-hmm. they're unhappy. Mm-hmm. So then they start drinking and they start mm-hmm. thinking to themselves, oh man, right. how, what could life be different? How could life be different? You know what I mean? Right, right, right. What is a, how can a man find his calling to get, to get out of this mess? What, well, let's, let's start with the thing you just said there about the drinking and, and you know, feeling that emptiness. And, and I teach this all the time at the seminars. I say, there's, there's no drug, there's no alcohol, there's no sex, there's no high that compares to being in the center of God's calling for your life. Mm. You know, the reason we're trying to feel like I was in the music business, trying to feel all this stuff, you know, because we're not in that center and, mm-hmm. and our body and our spirit is calling and longing for that place that God has designed for us. Cause that's where that, that's where we're going to be the most connected to God. When we're, when we're doing what he's assigned and called us to do is where we're going to be most connected. And it's designed that way. If you're outside the calling, you shouldn't be comfortable. Right. I mean, yeah. God, the uncomfortable is to move us back to where we are supposed to be. Right. So the thing is, I think with, with, with fathers settling for the job, it's several reasons. But one, I think it's lack of awareness. Um, some people were never told that they have a calling. Yeah. That, you know, they have a specific gift and God has designed them for something, that they have a purpose, that God's got a purpose and a plan for them and they're useful. They've been trained or, or raised in a certain way, like get a job. A good man should have a job. It should be steady and should be this and that, you know, and, and they've been taught a lot, something that um, the world taught them, not God. Yeah. Like the, the, God says, we are the head and not the tail above, not below. We will lend to many nations and not borrow. How are you going to lend to many nations if you don't have any money, right? See, yeah. if we're over here doing a J-O-B, then that's not God necessarily God's will for our life. There's nothing wrong with having a J-O-B, but let's make sure it's the one God designed for us to have. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the first thing. The awareness and understanding of who God is and that, that we're supposed to have that and we have a gift. Okay, it's mm-hmm. part of the awareness. The second part is, you know, the environment, whether it be at home, sometimes mm-hmm. the wives don't want to take chances. You know, the wives are like, got to have something steady. We, you know, what if, if the paycheck's gone, what's going to happen? The fear, right? Yeah. The panic, the fear. Um, and also the way we're raised, you know, our school says, you know, yeah, good person. You know, if you if you if you fail, you're not going to get a good job. Right. We're, we're taught real quick. 
you know, time you're as soon as you understand what failing is in school, you understand why if you fail, you're not going to get a good paying job or if you don't get into a good school, you're not going to get a good paying job. It's all about that. So I think a lot of it's the environment. And then, of course, other people that have bought been bought um, or bought into that lie mm -hmm. around us, our friends are saying, hey, you need to get a job like me. Right. Like, you know, why are you over there trying to do something different? Right. Yeah. I don't know how many times that I was told that um, when I started pursuing the, the, the rap career and, in, and even pursuing this in the very early stages before anything was happening, people would say, uh, why are you living in that fantasy land, man? You, you, you got to get a job. Like, why don't you get a nine to five like everybody else? I remember saying this. Why don't you get a nine to five like everybody? As long as I know you ain't never had a job. No, because I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always been doing what, what God had placed in me to do. I'd always pursue because I, I just had it inside that I knew God had, you know, intended us for more than that. You know, mm -hmm. we should be on fire when we wake up. We should be excited to wake up and we should hate to close our eyes at night. Hmm. Be like, man, I don't want to miss something. You know, we, we should be living like this. Not like, oh, man, I got to get up and go to that same old job that I've been doing for 20 years that I wasn't designed to do, that I hate doing. I hate the people over there. I, I, there's not anything about that job that I'm excited to do, but I get up every single day and I give 60 hours of my life to it every week, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as you mentioned, it, the emptiness of doing that that comes along with that, the fruits that are, uh, are born out of that, cause so many issues other places not just in work like you said if you're not doing what you're called to do you're not connected to that energy see i feel the most alive and the most excited when i'm doing my speaking man it's like man i'm on another it's like a high that just lasts it's not like back in the old days you, you know you smoke a little weed 10 minutes later uh the high's gone when i yeah. get in my calling man it's just like it just keeps coming it just the, the intensity the, the 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 way i feel the excitement it's just on another level so if i'm not feeling that and i'm doing a job over here that i'm not designed to do i'm missing that energy i'm trying to replace it so i seek things like porn mm. i seek things like alcohol i seek things like drugs i see things like hobbies just to you know keep me off of doing um what i'm supposed to be doing to try to fill that void you know and so many people that i know um that are in that JLB never knew that they had a calling. Mm. They're like, when I say, what's your calling? They look at me like I'm crazy. What yeah. do you mean calling? Uh, I say, you know, well, you're, oh, I got a job. Now I say, no, no, no. What? Not, not your job. What is your calling? Those are two different things. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and, and I think some, like I said, I think some of it's awareness. Um, some of it's environment. Another thing is probably the rejection. You know, mm. fear, like what happens if I fail, if I step out and do, you know, this thing that that excites me to do this, this uh, calling or whatever, I don't see how the money's coming right away. And what happens if I get out there and fail? What will my wife say? What will the kids say? What will my mom say? What will my church people say? What will the, you know, everybody else? It's always like, if I fail, then what happened? The rejections. Yeah. You know, most people want to be comfortable, you know, but greatness and success has nothing whatsoever to do with being comfortable. Matter of fact, it's the opposite. <laughs> right. Your success potential is always equivalent to the level that you're willing to be uneasy. Now, mm. I'm not saying let's, let's clarify this with, with the calling thing. I'm not saying go in tomorrow to work and, and, and say I'm quitting tomorrow. Like that's not we got to do it with wisdom. We yeah. got to seek God first. We got to do it with wisdom. Right. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct our path. So come to him tonight and say, Lord, you know, I heard a man tonight. I heard a, a podcast tonight and they were talking about I had, a, you know, I have a calling. Did you put a calling on my life? And I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. 
You know, if that's true, reveal it to me. Show me what my calling is. Show me what my gifts and talents are. Show me what you want me to do, Lord. I'm open to that. Show me the plan to getting to do what you've designed me to do. Show me how to get there. And I'll be faithful when you do to walk out every step until I get there. You know, pray over it. Ask God to come in and, and remove the scales from your eyes and say, you know, show me what I'm really designed to do. Show yeah. me what would excite me. God, God doesn't want you lukewarm. Ain't no. nothing about God lukewarm, right? And we were made in the image of our creator. So we should be on fire because God is on fire, right? Mm, I mean, yeah. he's passionate about us. Why are we not passionate about what we're doing? Because we're not doing what we were designed to do. Mm, so using, you know, it's usually one of those three things there, man. Either the, you know, the upbringing, the lack of knowing, or the, the teaching or the environment that, that we're currently rooted in. Mm. You know, you want to get around people that if you want to do your calling and find your calling, if you don't know it, get around others that have found their calling. Yeah. Just being around them, you'll start thinking like them. You'll start moving up to a different frequency of, of understanding and revelation. When you get around people that are doing their calling, that energy is contagious. Yes. Just like being at a job. If, if you go into the job, you might go there the first couple of days and you're excited about the new job, but everybody there is like burnout. And it won't be long if you're around them every day, going to lunch with them every day, coming in the same time, talking to them all day. It won't be long before you burn out, too. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's the same thing in reverse. If I get around people, man, and they love what they do. They're excited about getting up in the morning, excited about building a dream, excited about reaching and growing and stretching and impacting lives and doing what they were called to do. You get around those people. Next thing you know, you start thinking like that, acting like that, you know, scheduling your day like that, processing uh, life like that. Next thing you know, you're going to be in the center of it, too. So uh, just keep that in mind. Who you're, you know, who, who are you around? Yes. Who are you around? I always say this in my seminars. I say, I ask them this one question. I say, who in your life right now does not belong? Wow. Now that, that's a powerful question. Yeah. You see, sometimes what God has called us to do, everybody that's with us right now can't go. Yeah. And we don't like we don't like to tell people, no, we don't we, we want to bring all the friends with us. But everybody's not designed for that. They've got their own own thing that God's called them to do. You got to make sure you're doing what he called you to do and make sure the ones you bring with you are assigned to you. Mm. In this season that you're going into, it's got to be the right people in the right season. You know, some people might have been uh, perfect for last year. Pre-COVID, somebody in your life might have been perfect pre-COVID. But yeah. now God's got you on another plan and, and you're going to need, gonna need new associates, new mm -hmm. friends, new mentors, new mentees uh, in your life to go where you where, where he's got you going. Wow, man, that's so awesome. You know, I love the way you said how we have friends for a season, friends for a reason, that's and right. then we have friends for a lifetime, you know, Amen. and, and Amen. we can't, we can't bring them with us, all of them. You that's know what right. I mean? That's so right. That's that, right. That's awesome. I also heard it one time say that, you know, you are the accumulation of the people you're around. So if you hang around five right. successful people, right, you're going to be that sixth person. That's and, right. Right. Stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. it's the being, it's, it, we're being the sum total of five people that we hang out with the most, man. Mm. And, I, and what I do is I teach it like this in my book about who, the associations. I say grade you. you the five people that you hang out with the most great amount. Okay. Mm -hmm. Meaning like a one to five. Now let's clear something up. When, when I say everybody can't go with you, that, that doesn't mean we're not supposed to love those people mm -hmm. or be nice to them. We're, we're Christians we're supposed to love everybody, yeah. but that doesn't mean we're assigned to everybody. That doesn't mean we're supposed to give everybody access, full access, right? Yeah. There, there's certain people you give full access to your life and there's certain people you don't, you have to use wise counsel and let God steer you on that. But what I say is to measure where you're at right now, take the five people that you hang out with the most. 
-hmm. and grade them on a scale one to five. One being this person is a detriment to my dream or detriment to my health or detriment to my marriage or whatever it is, right? Grade them out one to five. Five being this person, man, is really sowing into me. This person is a positive benefit in some kind of way, or I'm sowing into them and I'm a five in their life. Like it needs to be something you're either sowing into this person, mentoring into this person, or they're sowing back into you. And the relationship needs to be um, scaled out one to five, right? One being the lowest, five being the best, and then three being lukewarm. Anything that's a three, you need to address. Hmm. Anything three or lower, you need to address. You need to say, I've got to bring this up to a positive type of relationship that's impacting me in positive ways, or I seriously need to reconsider this, this uh, access that I'm giving this person on a regular basis. You know, because sometimes it's family members. Sometimes yeah. you're hanging out with family members like at, at, at Thanksgiving, right? Or Christmas time. And these people, you, you're trying to build a dream and, and you're talking big and you're like, man, I got these dreams. But the person sitting across the table is saying, man, that ain't gonna work. Mm. You know, I know somebody tried that, they failed. You're going to go broke, whatever, right? You got to limit the access to these kind of people, hmm. you know? So we need to grade these people out. And, and what you want to do with five people here, you want to make sure you're scoring out at 20 or above. That means these people are all four or five type caliber people in your life. Now, if you get everybody in these first five here that's hanging out with you the most, if you get these up to four or five, you're going to be much, like, much more likely to succeed in life and much more prepared if you go through trials and tribulations and, 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 and heartaches or, or sickness or um, struggles in a marriage, you've got good, solid people around you and you're in a much better footing when, when things happen. Hmm. Man, that's wise counsel right there, man. You know, you get around those people and they can really help you out, you know, and that's an the, encouraging words right there. The, the thing we got to protect is when, when we're trying to do something big, man, or we, we're trying to step into God's calling and step into the promised land or, or restore marriage or, or restore our finances, whatever it is, we've got to protect our thinking. Yeah, thinking you got to guard your thinking like right now, you know, th there's a big thing about the mask, right? You got to mask up, got to mask up. Everybody's worried about the body, right? The same mask. My thing is we got to take these and put them over our thinking, over yeah. our mind. This is what we got to quarantine right now because everybody's walking around a state of fear. Mm -hmm. everywhere i mean i've never seen nothing like this in my life man the lord didn't give us a spirit of fear but a power and of love and of sound mind we got to protect this thinking and i guess i have a different take on it because of going through that struggle and giving away 2500 something days and for them to come on tv and tell me i'm gonna have to give away another 365 days uh-uh i ain't hearing it you yeah. know, I'd rather be out, out there doing my thing, you know, trusting God with my life than cooped up in this place, not living. I'm not going to give any more days, any more minutes, any more seconds away to the enemy. That's mm. just not going to happen. So we have to protect our thinking. We have to, you know, this is, you know, vision is the genesis of all greatness. Success starts with having that vision, yeah. right? All day long, the enemy's giving us his vision. If you turn on the news, there's two things right now. It's division with politics. Let's divide, right? Because the house yep. divided can't stand. And then it's sickness. It's fear, right? With the COVID. And they show us this stuff all day long. Mm -hmm. That's by design. The enemy knows you, whatever you focus on and whatever you constantly look at, you're going to move toward. Exactly. So let's put let's put this sickness up here. Why? Because because y'all y'all move toward it, and no wonder the numbers go up. You know why they're going up? Because you're holding the numbers up all the time. People seeing that they're gonna continue to produce that. If mm -hmm. they was to come on here tomorrow and say on the news and say the virus has gone, it has left, and it is no more. 
cases would drop tomorrow. I promise you. Yep. Mentally, our mind is producing these things. Like if COVID doesn't get our mind, it can't get our body. That's what mm. they don't understand. See, and, and the enemy is trying to get your mind all day long. Why? Because they're selling you things out of it. Vaccinations. Uh, you know, Tylenol, orange juice, toilet paper, whatever. Everything is, is designed with this whole thing set up in some kind of way to sell you something, right? Yes. You know, and, and people are so willing to buy what they're selling. Why? Because like you said earlier, there's that hole on the inside, right? As we mm -hmm. talk, like how somebody will fill it with alcohol. Okay, retail therapy is another way we, we feel it too, right? Yep. We got to get the new car that comes out. I got to get the new rims. I got to get the new watch because somebody on TV said, if I have it, the world will like me. Yes. Right. That, yep. That's how we do. So, man, just just protect your thinking. Be very aware of what you're letting access to here, what mm -hmm. you're giving access to. You got to be very aware of that because a person going to the next level, uh, a person of God, a strong father, a strong leader, a, a strong biblical person cannot act like the rest of the world. They can, we cannot be sheep. We are not no. designed to be sheep. We are the shepherd, not the sheep. And the world sometimes confuses the sheep with the shepherd. Right. But, mm -hmm. but we, we, we got to be different. Man. We got to be different. We've got to guard what we put in our mind. What, what's the word say? Be not conformed um, to this world, mm -hmm. but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. mind. Yep. Right. That's where the change comes from. So we got to guard our mind, not just the body. If we get a hold of our mind, our body will follow, man. Hmm. man that's interesting that you said that. One of the things that I always, uh, you know, tell myself when reading God's word is that, we're transformed by reading his word, right? Seeing it and reading it. And our right. faith grows by hearing it. So that's we got to read it and we got to be able to hear it as well. It's a two-part deal. And that's Amen. where the change and the transformation takes place. And you hit the nail right on the head on that, brother. Billy, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, bro. Can I, I, I thank you for coming on here. It was a tremendous blessing. Um, just thank you for being able to share with our audience. I truly, truly appreciate that. Can you tell our audience how they can get a hold of you and, and talk about that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Um, you can get a hold of me at one place, blessedandunstoppable.com. Blessedandunstoppable.com. Now, on that site, it's kind of like a portal hub that'll take you wherever you want to go. Um, I've got 230 plus motivational videos and um, biblical teaching on YouTube. It's all free. So if you're going through the struggle, man, you can turn these things on. They 20, 30 minutes long. You can just push play every single day and you'll have that positivity coming in. You'll have biblical based teaching coming in all day long. Not just positivity, right? Not just personal development, but biblically based, mm -hmm. biblically rooted personal development and motivation coming in your mind all single day. But go, you can go to blessingunstoppable.com. It'll take you to the, the YouTube. It'll take you to my, my social media. You can find me at, at Billy Allsbrooks. All the social media, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever, it's all the same at Billy Allsbrooks. Um, if you hadn't, if you hadn't got the book, I got a book called Blessed and Unstoppable. You can see it up here on the um, the sign, but but definitely check that out. It's a 31 day devotional where I walk through each day. I, I walk you through a, a, a biblical principle for success, and these principles are universal. They, they apply mm. to fathers, they apply to business, they apply to health, healing, whatever. They're universal principles that God has that will impact your life. If you align with the principles in the book, you'll bear fruit. And I learned, mm. I learned these lessons going through the, the struggle. So definitely, if you hadn't, hadn't got the book, be sure to do that. Get that book. Let yes. me end with one more thing, because God put it on my heart when you were saying this earlier about reading the word and hearing the word. Now, there's one more element to that that I learned. Mm -hmm. When 
I was going through the, the panic attacks. I started doing this one thing when I ran out of options, when I tried all the therapists, went to the hospitals and nothing was working. Um, I started this, this one habit, this daily habit that changed my life and it will change anyone who, who, who aligns with it. What I started doing was when the panic attacks would come on, I'd put my shoes on and go out my front door and walk around my neighborhood. I had a mile long square block, right? So I'd go out there and I'd just, um, at this point in time, I was in desperation, aggravation, instigation, you name it, right? I'm, I'm out there yelling at God about my sickness, right? I'm out there like, you know, why are you not hearing my prayers and why am I going through this? But, but the key element was I established a relationship with God out on that block. Now, I was mad at God, but I'm talking to God for the first time, right? It, it, we're, we're conversing here. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm out there now. As God brought me out of the darkness and delivered me from the panic attacks and the PTSD, I never stopped doing that walk every day. I go out there. Now we have different conversations. I go out there, Lord, what do you want me to do? Yeah. What's my next step? What do I need to get better? What do I need to watch out for? What do I need to stop doing? What do I need to do more of? And I get out in that prayer time and build that relationship. See, religion has no power. Religion has never healed anybody. It's relationship. And that's where the revelation comes when you read the word, the hearing the word, the being able to understand the word. You, you can only really truly do that when you've been in the presence of God. Mm. Revelation comes from presence. Yep. So be in his presence, then come in and read that word, come in and hear that word, and you're going to hear a whole different message. There's mm. a music underneath that's only heard by those who understand his voice, and to understand his voice, we must get along with him. Mm. And, that, and, and if you do that every single day, <laughs> spend 15, 20 minutes, go out on a walk by yourself, just you and God, one-on-one, and in, in that silence, the mysteries of the universe in your life will be revealed to you. God will begin to pour things into you. And a week from now, you might be having a conversation with somebody and they're going through a struggle and boom, God will give you some word to give that person. And you'll say, where did that come from? That came from that relationship that you did a week ago when you were out there walking because God doesn't waste time. Every second that you give to him, every second that you're alone with him, you're giving birth to something. He's pouring into you, preparing you for something. You, won't, you might not even notice because many times I go out there and I wouldn't say a word. Yeah. I just walk around that block, but I was with him and I knew he was there. He knew I was there and we were having a conversation without having a conversation. Mm. He was talking to my spirit. Yeah. And then every time I went out there, I got a little bit strong and I was a little bit more equipped for what I'm doing every single day. So somebody needs to hear this too. You, you got to reestablish that connection with him and that's going to change your life. You want to be a good father. You want to be a good leader at home. Get alone with God every single day. That's the only way to, to be the, the best father today in this world with all the distractions, with all the, the, the temptations and with all the, the stuff that's going on. The only way to be what you were designed to be is getting along with God. He can help you overcome anything. He can help you see things that the world cannot see to prepare your family way ahead of time to prepare you for things that are coming that you would have known otherwise get along with him every single day i promise you it'll change your life hmm. trust me on this 15 20 minutes every single day the second thing i suggest is every single day we're going to be strong men and leaders as i was taught read one chapter of proverbs every single day proverbs was written by solomon the wisest man who ever lived now, the wisdom, that's like sitting down with Bill Gates or whoever today, the, the, the top man. This is who you're talking to of all time. Mm -hmm. King Solomon's the richest of all time. 
So when we sit down with him, we're sitting down with a man who, who led, um, you know, a whole nation, man. He understood that he wasn't um, on his own ability capable of doing it. He reached out to God and God gave him this wisdom. And it's all in, in Proverbs. There's 31 uh, chapters of Proverbs. So during the month, you can read one a day and one month time. You've read the whole thing then start back over. I've done that for the last 12, 15 years, whatever it is. I started doing this every single day and I've done it every day since. And it has changed my life, man. The wisdom that comes to me now is all because of that relationship time alone and because of reading God's word every day. It will mm -hmm. change you and it, it'll make you the father that you want to be. It'll make you the father that God designed you to be. And it'll make you immune to the devices of the enemy. Trust me, do these two things right here and you'll be equipped for whatever the enemy tries to attack you with. Yeah, man. Amen. Amen. Thank <laughs> you, Billy. We appreciate that, man. That was awesome, dude. I, I God totally is good, just, man. Yes, he is. He is, brother. Thank you so much for coming on the show, brother, and just sharing all this information, dude. And I know it's going to be a tremendous blessing, dude. Man, I, thank I, you for I, having I me on, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me on, man. Absolutely, brother. Well, you have a blessed day. You too, man. Let's, let's end the way I do on the videos, man. To God be the glory. God be the glory. Amen. 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 <laughs>